If you have your Bibles, we will be in the book of Philippians once more. The book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. The book of Philippians, chapter 3. Verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Some of you may get there before I will. That's all right. So, this sermon will be shorter than the previous one because most of you were here during the first sermon, so you've already heard the exposition proper, the exposing of the text, digging out the meaning of it for us, and then this sermon is going to mostly focus upon application or contemplation, as the old Puritans used to say, uses of the text. So, But I do want to begin by reading God's Word once more. And then we'll do a review of last session because if you are like me, you can forget things very easily. And I want to set the context for all the application so you can see where I'm getting the application and the meditations and contemplations and uses. So with that said, let's... Read the text once more together. Paul says to us, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, And now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait, For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we continue to study this passage, I pray that this passage would become one of Grace Reformed Baptist Church's favorite passages. May it be one that they turn to when... Hell on earth breaks loose. May it be one that they find hope and comfort in. 
We love you. We thank you for the precious gift of your word. We pray all these things in the name of your son. Amen. So I think everybody was here for the first service, but just in case you need a reminder or you were not here, I want to give you a quick flyby overview of what we talked about. So I said that the main point is we will hold fast because of the love of God's people and the power of Jesus Christ. We will hold fast because of the love of God's people and the power of Jesus Christ. And the two points for which I had for us is found in verses 17 through 19, firstly, in that God's people ought to love one another. I don't think I said exactly like that, but that's the gist of it is that we ought to love one another and we ought to encourage one another. And then secondly, our Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. That it is the power of Jesus Christ that is our hope, both in this life and in the life to come. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to that again Uh, when you go home today uh, throughout your week and just really meditate upon the truths found in this text. And what I want to focus on more for this sermon is the therefore found in chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my Beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. When we look at this text, we see that Paul can say what he says with an imperative to stand firm because of the glories of the doctrine and theology, the teaching and the study of God that he's laid out not only in this passage, but throughout the preceding chapters in in the book of Philippians. We have the great doctrine, as I mentioned at the beginning of the last sermon in chapter 2, that Christ Jesus assumed human flesh. And when you read in Chapter 2, this passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. I'm of the personal conviction that that might be the pristine paragraph or theologians like to use the term pericope, a unit of thought or a paragraph. That might be the pristine and crowning paragraph of the entire book of Philippians because it's upon the doctrine of the incarnation that everything else hinges. Because without the incarnation, uh, there is no Christian faith. What is the incarnation? Well, the incarnation is God the Son assuming human flesh. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, assuming human flesh. And in His assumption of flesh, He's able, as Pastor Barcelo said during his meditation upon the fourth commandment this morning, he talked about how Jesus, in assuming human flesh, took upon the duties and responsibilities of man. And here's the glorious good news. He never deflected in his duty. He never shirked in his duty and responsibility. And that made him the, have the responsibility of being our perfect Redeemer. Because before he could be Redeemer, he had to be the perfect law fulfiller. And he did it all for law breakers, for covenant breakers like you and I. Do you know when God in Genesis 1 allowed His people to sin, that they broke the covenant that He made with them. And in breaking that covenant, they broke something called the covenant of works. And in the breaking of that covenant, that brought all hell to earth. And in so doing, dear friends, we live in a fallen world. That, that is why life is so hard. That is why death is a reality. And in death being a reality, that was my thesis upon why I said in the first service, we need one another. Now, what does that look like? Well, it looks like chapter 4, verse 1. Look at Paul's attitude towards fellow believers. He says of them, You're my beloved, and I long for you. He says, You're my joy and crown. And not only that, he says that they are beloved. So I ask you, dear saints that call yourself Grace Reformed Baptist Church, do you love the brethren? And when I ask you that question, here's what I'm not asking. Are you a faithful church attender? Because you can sit in these seats and not really love the brethren. You can go through the motion of coming to church, 
but your heart and your affections when you gather with the church family are not really there. Do you love your church family? Or is this just going through the motions to have an outward appearance of being perceived as good so you can get what you want out of the church? Or do you have Paul's attitude of not only being with the church family, but also longing for them? On, on Monday morning, do you long for the next Lord's Day? Do you long for the Sabbath rest that can only come through being with God's people? And look at what Paul says here. He calls them his joy and crown. The reason why he can say that they're his crown is I believe that he helped to found this church. He planted this church, but also he says that there is joy. Do you look at members of this church that you covenanted with, and can you say that they are your joy? Do, do you think about one another often? Do you pray for one another often? And I don't mean this to be a guilt trip. I don't mean to roll on people's toes, as it were. But, dear friends, I do want the Holy Spirit conviction. If you've lacked in prayer, if you've lacked for a longing of the brethren to come upon you, oh, dear friends, I pray that this would be the Sunday that you've realized that the church hasn't been your beloved and that you get back to loving one another well. And let me just say this by way of encouragement. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I can see that you all love each other. But we can always grow in our love and affection of one another. Are you stagnant? Are you growing in your love towards your church family? After all, you do realize we're going to spend all of eternity together worshiping our glorious triune God. So that, that would be my first application point. How much do you enjoy each other's fellowship? Have you grown stagnant in your love for the brethren? To where you're not growing? To where you're not keeping up with the needs of the fellow church family? And a lot of folks, especially down south, uh, they look at me and they get air in their jaws and they puff themselves up and they say, well, that's the job of the pastor. No, no, no. The work of the pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You all can minister to one another through fellowship and encouragement. And I know that you do that, so I'm encouraging most of you to keep pressing on, to keep holding fast by loving one another well. And if in God's providence you have to move from this local fellowship, may the Lord bless you with another one. Because if you do not get another one, there's no holding fast for you. Uh, you become, as it were, an enemy of the cross of Christ if you refuse the fellowship of the saints. Remember I talked about 
the first service, those who have this almost like biblicist idea of only needing the Bible and nothing but the Bible and it's just me under a tree with God in my Bible. That is a lie from the pit of Satan. We need one another. So I know I'm preaching to the choir with that point. I just want you all to keep pressing on and be encouraged in your love for one another. Be encouraged in your love for your pastor and be encouraged by the love that a lot of you will receive tonight when, when churches gather as one association. Seek to love them well. Pray for them well. And you, you'll know joy inexpressible even in this life. Secondly, I've got a theological uh, application for you all or meditation. I want you to think about the glorious nature of the Incarnation. It's November, so we can already talk about Christmas. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, as you all well know, is not about a cute manger scene. It's not about getting gifts. It's not about some overweight man going down the chimney to give gifts. But it is about the Lord Jesus Christ assuming human flesh. And this text reality is only a reality because of the glories of chapter 2. This text exists in all its encouragement because we serve the God-man. And as I said last time in my exposition proper, that we see the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ on display. But He needed to be human in order to have a physical body to be rose from the dead so that His brethren likewise could rise from the dead. And that is something that I want you to think upon and glory in. Theologians call this idea of of fully man and fully God, they use a big old compound word, or I think it's actually two words. They say the hypostatic union. And that's a fancy $5 word in order to say that there's one person in the person of Jesus, two natures. And that's something that every Christian ought to think about and glory in, especially in this holiday season. That because of the Lord Jesus Christ having two natures, we are going to be raised again from the dead. The same Holy Spirit power that rose the flesh of Jesus from the dead and the same power of the triune God that rose Jesus in His bodily flesh from the dead will one day raise all of our ugly sinful corpse from the dead. The text calls it lowly. And we're going to receive glorious bodies like His in His humanity. Think upon that. Glory in that. That's my second uh, meditation for you this morning. Or I guess it's afternoon now. 
But regardless, thirdly, this one will be quicker, but no less important. Glory in your death if you're a Christian. Because it's not really death. Death has lost its thing. Because we will live forever. We have eternal life now. And the fullness of that eternal life will be realized once we pass from this earthly life. We'll be resurrected and we'll spend all of eternity glorying in who God is and what He's done for us. And that, my friends, is worthy of being an eternal application that we're never going to forget and we're never, ever, ever, a million years from now, going to get over. We'll have just begun glorying on the tip of the iceberg of God's good work and faithfulness to us in Jesus Christ. And it's because we are in Christ and He is in us that we have the blessed hope. And you can talk to my church family. I don't bring up my disability hardly ever when I'm preaching. But I think it's appropriate. We are not going to have ailments. Your crippled preacher this morning is not going to be in a wheelchair. I'm going to have legs that are better than... uh, I lived in Kansas City, so we'll say Patrick Mahomes. You know, I'm going to be able to run faster than him. And that running will be to the glory of the triune God for what He's done for my sinful self. Would you pray with me? Help us, O oh God, to hold fast. We love you. We thank you for the reality and joy that the incarnation has, has brought a sinful and fallen world. Help us to be evangelistic. Help us to be edifiers of the brethren. Grow us in grace. Grow us in love. And may sinners here this morning know their need of being enemies of the cross of Christ and enter into this joy with us. And be with us as we proclaim the gospel in communion this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.